Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to mini episode 269 of Real Life Ghost Stories and I have four spooky stories for you today and the last story comes from the 17th of February 2023 and story number one comes from Katie. I was no more than five when this happened so I don't remember it clearly but this is how my parents told me the story. We had just gotten home from my grandparents and my dad went to check the messages on the answering machine. The only one on the machine was from my best friend Amanda to my mother. My dad had to listen to the message a couple of times as it was sort of garbled and hard to understand, but eventually he figured it out that it said, Hi Terry, this is Amanda, call Debbie. He relayed this to my mom who immediately called Debbie who was Amanda's mother and a good friend of my mom's. Debbie was surprised and a little confused by the call. She said she had been thinking of calling my mom to talk through some difficulties she was having in her marriage but neither she nor Amanda had actually called. Of course, this was bizarre because if they had never called, how could there have been a message from Amanda on our answering machine? When my mom got off the phone, she went to the machine to listen to the message to see if that would clear up the confusion. But instead of the message from Amanda, it was now a message from my mom's older sister. The message from Amanda was just gone, even though my dad had not deleted it. Furthermore, the message from my aunt had not been there when he had checked the message initially, nor had she called in the meantime. It was like my aunt's message had somehow replaced the one my dad had heard. This happened in the very early 1990s, back when the answering machines still had physical tapes. So I suppose it's possible that a piece of an old message just got jumbled up or the tape was damaged and that's what my dad had heard. But then where did it go? And how did the new message get there? And if it was a mechanical glitch, how was it that it happened at the perfect time when Debbie needed to talk to my mom? I love this story and I love stories of this sort of ilk. So here's the thing. If it had been a technical glitch, fine. Technical glitches happen in things all of the time. But presumably, judging by the story, your dad had to listen to it a couple of times, right? So he didn't just listen to it once and go... That's weird. That sounded like Amanda. So maybe I should get mom to call Debbie, right? Fine. But he listened to it a couple of times and had to try and decipher what the message was saying and then eventually figured out, oh, okay, it's her friend and she needs mom to call her mom, right? So if that's the case, having listened to the message a couple of times to decipher it, where did it then go to? Was it always just the message from mom's older sister? 
did the message from mom's older sister record over the message from Amanda? And of course, those things all presume that there was a message from Amanda in the first place. But both Amanda and her mom maintain that neither of them called in order to leave a message. So here's my wild and wacky theory about this one, right? Because we hear stories like this all the time, whether it's loved ones who have passed away, who call, make phone calls, leave messages, or whether it's people like in this scenario who are who leave a message somehow, even though they personally and physically haven't actually done it. We know that kids throw off all sorts of crazy energy. And we also know that kids are super perceptive. So if parents or guardians are having a difficult time, kids can generally pick up on it. They're pretty perceptive. So what if this is all about energy that this little girl was feeling that things were off with her parents and in her little girl brain, she was like, right, who does who does my mom like to talk to? Oh, she likes to talk to Katie's mom. So somehow that translated into her energy managing to leave a phone message because how do parents communicate over the phone? Now look, I'm not wearing my lab coat right now so I haven't done the scientific testing that needs to be done to ensure the robustness of this theory but I'm pretty sure that I'm right. This is something to do with energy. And story number two comes from Anonymous. I live in a town within western New York. I have grown up and live within the same town my great-great-grandparents planted roots in, settling around the 1910s. Their descendants followed suit. I am now the fifth generation. All generations have a story here, so it wouldn't be of surprise that most of the past generations are also buried here. In order for me to get to work in mere minutes, which you guessed it, I also work in the same town, I need to pass an old cemetery. This old cemetery my great-great-grandfather Albert and his first wife Stella are buried in. However, they are not buried in the same location. Albert passed in 1936 and is actually buried mere feet from the road. I have taken this same road and have driven past this same cemetery a million times with no anomalies. Except one early December morning it was dark outside. The roads and signs were covered in frost. The road is old and lacks many streetlights, so I rely mainly on my headlights. As I was driving towards the cemetery, which was on my left, I noticed on my right a man dressed in all black standing in between the dimly lit light posts and the railroad crossing sign. My headlights bounced off his reflection as the street began a slight incline. Instantly I was annoyed. This man was wearing all black in the early hours of the morning and yet I could barely see him on the side of the road. I audibly complained to myself, what the fuck is this guy doing? I glanced down to see the time on my screen to annoy myself even more, and I looked back up to get my eyes on the road and the sight of this man, but no one was there. I stopped at the four-way stop that was just before the location of this man, glancing around to see if I've missed something. And yet, nothing, no one was there. I hastily went to work, quiet and confused. Where I saw this man was about 30 feet from my great-great-grandfather's burial plot. Sure, maybe it was the headlights and the frost. Maybe it was my need for more caffeine, but like I said, the million times I've driven this same road, this has never happened to me before. I intellectually understand when sceptics are like, oh, it was clearly a trick of the light or, you know somebody tired driving to work etc etc I do intellectually understand those arguments but I just don't think in stories like this it's as simple as that 
if you're a driver, I think that everyone has had a an incident where you're driving at nighttime and somebody is walking on the road who is wearing all black or is not, you know, it can't easily be seen. And it always gives you a fright. It always makes you go, oh, for fuck's sake, they should have something reflective on or why are they out walking at this time of night? We've all been there. So the response to be like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Look at the time to see what time it is and look back and this person is gone is pretty freaky. And yes, nighttime driving, headlights, frost, lack of street lights, etc, etc, can, you know, make you maybe see things. But I'm, I don't know. I, I've driven a lot of country roads at nighttime when it's frosty, etc, etc. And I can't say that I've ever mistaken something for a human being standing there. So, you know, the nice way to look at this anonymous is that maybe it was a long, long, long dead member of your family that was like, oh, just going to keep an eye on her while she's driving to work. On second thoughts, I don't know if that's comforting at all, actually. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And story number three comes from Jenny. Last summer, I was driving with my kids from Washington, D.C. to Maine to visit with family. It's about a 12-hour drive, so we decided to break it up and stay overnight at a motel halfway through. I had just listened to the episode about the Japanese stories in the car on my earbuds so the kids wouldn't hear it. I had found a motel close to our route and booked a room in advance. After a long day on the road, we checked into this dingy little roadside motel. It was no more sinister than any other half-forgotten motel in any of a thousand small towns in America. The rooms opened directly to outside and we parked our car in front of our door. The room was a little run down, with flickering fluorescent bulbs and floral bedspreads, just what you'd expect in a cheap motel room in rural New Jersey. On one wall, there were two queen-sized beds, separated by a nightstand. On the other wall, there was a mini-fridge, a bureau with a TV on it, and on the opposite side of the room, near the bathroom, is a big wooden wardrobe. Now, it has to be said that I had no reason to believe that this wardrobe would contain anything sinister, but it was on my mind because that episode had me well and truly freaked out. I did not open the wardrobe and I would sort of zoom past it when I went to the bathroom. That night I slept in the bed closest to the door with my six-year-old daughter and my 11-year-old son slept in the bed closest to the wardrobe. I had a very hard time going to sleep that night. 
Nothing stood out as to why the room felt weird, but it was kind of a dingy hotel room. The bed wasn't as comfortable as I would have liked, and I had a very restless six-year-old pinned up against my back doing her acrobatic sleep routine. I'd been keeping my head covered with a pillow and my back to that stupid wardrobe because I'm a chicken. I even strategically paced both of my children in between me and the wardrobe. Don't judge. I'd like to say I was protecting them if anything tried to get in the front door, but I would be lying. I was laying in bed trying to sleep. All the lights were on because my six-year-old is the kid who I've written to you about before. She regularly sees the hat man and is scared of the dark. The only sounds were the traffic on the distant highway and the regular wheezing of the rickety air conditioner. It would blast too cold air until the room was freezing, rumble to a stop and quietly tick until the room was stuffy and then starting up again like an ancient washing machine filled with a load of gravel. At some point, I dozed off into a fitful sleep. I don't know how long I slept, but suddenly my eyes snapped open and I was instantly awake. I was still curled up in a ball, facing away from that wardrobe, now hugging the pillow that had been over my head. I could feel the warm weight of my daughter pressed up against my back, her deep, even breathing telling me she was asleep. Then I felt a very warm, sharp exhale of breath directly into my ear and a very distinct feeling of motion, like air was being sucked away from me quickly. I know that's not a precise description, but it's all I can think of. Like somebody leaned over, huffed really strongly into my ear and then was pulled away in a whoosh of wind. My whole body got hot and then cold as my heart started pounding in my ears. I did not move, I did not look, I just stayed still. Eyes closed, scrunched in a ball, willing myself to go back to sleep. A few moments later, my son woke up and sleepily asked, What was that? In a choked voice, I answered, What was what? He mumbled something unintelligible, still mostly asleep. Then he sat up straight and said, Mom, I want to go now. It was about five in the morning. My daughter was awake at this point, and I told them both to try and go back to sleep since we'd stayed up way too late and had a long drive that day. I rolled over and snuggled up to my daughter, and my eyes fell on the wardrobe. It really honestly wasn't doing anything, but it took up the whole room. We left at 5.30. As with the last mini-episode, here's another episode where I am ruining things for people, and in this instance, I am ruining a family visit. (laughs) And just to say, as somebody who still sleeps with a nightlight, I will never judge anybody for being freaked out, especially in a new place. And especially when there's a big old scary wardrobe in the middle of that new place. And you've just listened to a story about a disembodied hand emerging from a cupboard. Your description of whatever it was, sort of breathing directly into your ear. And then that feeling of whatever it was being moved away in a gust of wind sounds really really terrifying and not only that but it is validated by your son going what was that which in moments like that is probably the last thing that you want to hear I would be really curious to know what conversation you had with the children after that point like why did he want to go you know what was it that made him freaked out was it the same kind of thing that you experienced or did he experience something different all in all, I think when you're feeling freaked out and uncomfortable in a place, often just getting yourself out of there if you don't need to be there is just the easiest and most effective thing to do. And story number four comes from Kai. 
My sister and I talked to each other a lot, especially when we were alone. One night we were talking in the kitchen after our parents had already gone to bed. As we talked, my sister was standing in the doorway of the kitchen and suddenly turned around and called out, Hmm? As if she was responding to somebody. Obviously, I was confused. She was too. She had heard a voice, our father's voice, very clearly saying my name, and I didn't hear it. I occasionally sleep on the couch in my living room instead of my bed, as it can get difficult for me to get comfortable in my bed at times. One night I was trying my hardest to fall asleep on the couch feeling very sick, when I heard a bang coming from the kitchen. It sounded like something had fallen to the floor, like maybe a pan had fallen off its hook somehow. I froze in place with fright, staring at the darkened entrance to the kitchen. After a bit, I built up the courage to walk over to the kitchen to check it out and hopefully find the source of the noise. Nobody was in the kitchen, or awake for that matter, and I did not see anything on the floor or out of place. Somehow, I still managed to get a little sleep that night. This is my sister's story from when she was in college. One night she was making dinner in the tiny kitchen and heard a loud whistle coming from behind her. Thinking it was her roommate, she turned around, except there was nobody behind her. The roommate called out from her bedroom, Did you just whistle? My sister responded, No, I thought that was you. A few days after this occurrence, the roommate was left alone in the dorm making dinner again when she heard another loud whistle. It never happened a third time, and neither of them found out what made the noise. So Kai's short stories are all kind of very disembodied voice or disembodied sound based. And this has been an ongoing conversation on the podcast about what what is it that makes these sounds and what is the intention. You know, in the last episode, when we looked at the Hawaiian stories, there is also Hawaiian lore about not responding to things that call your name in the forest. So if you're in the forest and you hear something that calls your name, you do not look, you do not engage, you run as fast as you can out of that vicinity. And that is very famously also a part of Appalachian lore, where you don't respond. If you hear something call your name from the forest, you don't you don't respond to it, no matter who it sounds like, no matter who it reports to be. And there doesn't really seem to be any conversation about what this is or why this happens. And in this instance, you know, your sister hears your dad's voice calling your name and you hear something fall over in the kitchen and you're not quite sure what it is. And also your sister and her roommate hearing a a disembodied whistle a number of times. Is this a case of like stone tape theory, but for the living where your house absorbs sounds and noises and energy and spits them back at you at various points. Because if that's the case, then it certainly takes a sinister element out of it. But fundamentally, these stories about people hearing disembodied voices calling their names or someone's name or whatever it is, they always have such a sinister air. So Kai, I love your stories, but I don't have any useful suggestions for you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Katie, Anonymous, Jenny and Kai for sending in your stories. Thank you for uh, being patient with the fact that today's main episode is actually a mini episode. I really appreciate your patience and allowing me to to record things in a way that kind of works with what's going on in my life 
at the moment. So thank you so much. If you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. And if you are desperate for some extra content, you can sign up to Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash reallifeghoststories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content, as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.